0: So it's kind of like the martial arts analogy of doing something 10,000 times in order to master it and not like some long drawn out form, like one specific movement 10,000 times. It's the same thing here where, you know, you just spend so much time doing it that then eventually that becomes the comfort that you know that without a doubt you you can do those things under any situation in any circumstances.
1: Welcome to My First Day. I'm Andrew Bracken. What brings a lot of people to San Diego is military service, and that's the case with Ben Betts. Ben came to San Diego, Coronado Island specifically, to try to do what only a select few have been able to, become a Navy SEAL. Among the most elite Special Forces units in the world, the path to becoming a Navy SEAL is extremely difficult and can push you to the edge both physically and mentally. Here is Ben Betts with his story of...
0: My first day. So I had been in in Pensacola doing what the Navy calls uh, A school, and I had had been doing a parachute rigger A school, um, which was a six-week school. The The only reason I selected it was because it was quick, and I wanted to get to BUDS training, or basic underwater demolition SEAL training, which was here in San Diego on Coronado Island. My wife was living in Seattle still, I told her not to come because I was like, if I don't make it, you don't want to like move down here just to leave like three weeks later. Some of the big memories that stick out was was kind of going to, onto the compound for the first time and seeing the barracks where I was going to basically spend like the next, what I thought would be about six months going through the, the training pipeline. You're like considered kind of the lowest of the low, like you haven't even started the indoctrination program, right? So you're a check-in. You're supposed to kind of just be out of the way and just get your check in stuff done, work out and then not be seen or heard. Well, I remember thinking it was pretty cool cuz the the students that were in phases were were on the lower levels cuz it's just more convenient for them. And those of us who weren't would be on the upper. And so I remember being on like the third floor with this, you know, window that looked straight out over the Pacific Ocean and thinking like, you know, it's kind of funny that this is the worst room and yet A couple hundred yards up the beach, there were these condos that you know people pay a lot of money to live in, and our view was better than theirs. One of the vivid memories I have was getting like this sheet of paper that kind of spelled out the protocol for when you were moving around the compound, kind of going through the check-in process and stuff. And there was kind of a blurb in there about the instructor staff that said, you know, like, if... You know, the blue and gold, which they wore blue t shirts with gold lettering, they would say drop. And that means, you know, you drop down, you do your 20 push ups, you sound off with like the instructor's name, hoo ya, this whole kind of like elaborate routine, basically just designed to see if you can follow instructions. So it was a really like intense time because you want to make like this great impression on people and you're going to be there for a while. And so you build things up, I think. To some kind of level where if I mess up like this one little detail, it seemed like so life or death. Did it happen to you? Oh, yeah. It happened lots. And it wound up like the anticipation is way worse than the event where like at the time I thought like if I miss one little thing, which of course you missed like three things, they didn't really care. Most of the time they would like drop you down and then just keep walking. And then, you know, they would be 100 yards away and they would tell you to recover and then you could get up and like carry on with your day.
1: When was the first time that happened?
0: Oh, I'm sure it was probably the very next day. It was kind of like when they saw you and they had never seen you before. Then, then it was almost like automatic that they would just do that, just so that to kind of establish rapport, establish the hierarchy, like we were talking about. And I think in some ways, it kind of like as a student. You know, you've seen the videos and you've seen the documentaries online and stuff, and you're almost excited to do that. You know, you want to kind of like get it out of the way, figure out how it works and kind of know the deal. And then you kind of feel like you're actually a student and not kind of like someone who wants to be a student. So there's yeah, there's kind of a weird like crossing of that that boundary. The real big thing I remember was once you get through medical. They would have you put a red X on the front of your white T-shirt before you were through medical so the instructors would know to be nice to you.
1: And so it's like a badge or like a...
0: What, or no, it was just a Sharpie. On your shirt? Yeah, you, so yeah, you were supposed to have that. That was kind of like part of the little brief back you would get from your friends, like make sure you have that on your white T-shirt. My mindset was definitely to to sort of build like a a base of training, a cardiovascular base is is difficult to to maintain and it it requires a lot of daily attention. Uh, So that was what I was worried more than anything was to maintain sort of that that base. Um, And so I would run a, a lot extra. But the running so that was kind of like always in the forefront of my mind. And then the other thing was just constantly trying to make sure you knew who everyone was, both the students ahead of you and the students behind you and in your class knew who all the instructors were or knew what kind of like the news within the community was because th- there would always be questions like, hey, did you guys hear what happened in Iraq today? You know, and, and so you're always kind of constantly trying to make sure you're in the loop um, on on everything. And so it was kind of like, I don't want to say overwhelming, but it was, it was very consuming. Yeah, there was some anxiety, but I think for me personally, the the way I always dealt with that kind of anxiety was through action, and so my solution was, you know, to make sure that I was always doing as much or more than everyone else, and if I did that, it, it gave me a, a sense of comfort that I was going to be all right. Some of the guys were younger, and so you know, come Friday night Liberty, some guys were like down in the gas lamp partying. And I would, Friday night, I would never go out because I would plan to train again on Saturday. And then Saturday night was my one night to kind of take some time for myself. And then Sunday, you know, prep our room for inspection and be ready to go again. So I, I maintained a really like disciplined lifestyle because I, I felt like it gave me comfort that, that, would, that I would succeed if I did that.
1: Once through the initial check-in phase, Ben waited for the next stage of training to begin, called indoctrination or in for short.
0: So that's considered like pre-training. You kind of got to know who all the instructors were. You got taught like how to maintain the boats that we would use during training. They they taught us, you know, a lot of the knot tying stuff that we would be expected to do during tests. A lot of sort of this, I think what's colloquially called drown-proofing, you know, but it's just a a, a, an evolution where you're kind of tied up in the pool and you bob up and down and you learn how to like survive without the normal ability to tread water. So a lot of these little things. And then it was just a lot of swimming. So it, like back to that cardiovascular base, it was a lot of swimming, a lot of running, a lot of doing the obstacle course so that you could kind of like have a legitimate chance at surviving the, the, the training once it really started. Ironically, it actually made it so that once you started training, they could make the training harder because you already knew how to do everything. So they didn't have to waste any time doing that. They could just use the time physically abusing you. There were days where a lot of guys were quitting and, you know, the the training was quite intense and you're wondering like, okay, if it's like this now and they're supposed to be building me up, but I feel like I'm getting broken down, you know, then what's it going to be like when we actually start? I think our class, and I think which was pretty typical, lost probably 20 to 25% of the students during that time. But yeah, there was a shocking number of people, you know, just going and quitting on on a daily basis.
1: So that number, mind you, is just from the indoctrination phase, before formal trainings even started. One constant reality to daily life in SEALs training is attrition. The percentage of soldiers who actually complete the training pipeline vary from the low double digits to low single digits, depending on when they actually start counting, usually after INDOC. For some, this fact may give them pause to sign up. Ben, though, looked at things differently.
0: I knew it was extreme, and, and that was one of the things that had attracted me to the program in the first place, is that I felt like, you know, if everybody who wants to do this will make it, then there probably won't be a community of that I would really actually want to work with, right? So I, I wanted to go to a program where the selection was, was pretty extreme. And so I wanted to be someplace where you were truly working with people who were peers in every sense of the world, you know, just as capable as you, if not more, in every facet. Yeah, there was multiple factors. One, you know big factor was that I had um, gotten married relatively young, And then while I was living in Seattle, um, gone through a divorce and sort of, that's definitely a moment for a person when you reevaluate like, not just what am I gonna do with my relationships, but maybe it's time to reconsider what I'm doing with my entire life. At the time I I had my heart set on going to medical school at the University of Washington and they had rejected me a second time. So even though I had an opportunity to go to another school, it just, there was something in me where I just decided that if I can't do it the way I want to do it, I'm not going to do it. I don't know where that really comes from. I was always taught growing up, like if you're going to, the mantra was, if you're going to do something, do it right. And so, you know, that, that was really hammered home growing up. And, and for whatever reason, to me, doing it right meant doing it better than everyone. Uh, so I mean, it sounds really elitist to say it like that out loud, but that—that's basically what I felt like. I felt like, you know, things that I did um, well, that wasn't good enough. If I, I, I would kind of lose interest, basically, I would, you know, I would say, eh, "I'm okay at that" or whatever. But if I wasn't really just sort of unnaturally gifted at something, I would get bored with it and, and not really want to pursue it. So. Once I came there, that was one of the first times I felt that I met people that that felt that same way. What I think, you know, a lot of people would call sort of an elitist mentality, um, which I think is a, a negative connotation. It's really just a desire to be surrounded by like individuals. I think everyone, once they sort of find their innate talents, is sort of drawn to others like that. So I think it's sort of a misnomer, but... Um, but yeah, that was, you know, one of the first times I felt kind of like at home, like, okay, these people get me. It's okay to tell them like that, that if I'm going to do something, I want to be really, really, really good at it. Not just kind of like, okay at it or whatever. Like, you know, it, that was, that was normal and that was okay. And and and, not, and that actually became expected. Um, so that was, that was different. And it definitely changed my life to kind of have that sort of epiphany that, that there's environments where that's okay. Yeah, the first day of real, real training was intense because even leading up to it, I think the instructors came to our barracks the night before and like gave an impromptu room inspection and like threw our mattresses over the railings. You know, I mean, really just like tear your life up when you really are thinking, okay, I'm going to get a great night of sleep, and then they like come and mess with you, you know, just to make sure that anxiety was at a maximum. And I, I remember as the class was running down to the grinder, where we weren't allowed to train there before, and now this would be the first day we were allowed there, hearing the sound of the bell ringing from students that had, the anxiety had built to the point that they had gotten up before the rest of us just to walk down there to quit. So that was like a real sobering moment where these people who had gone through, you know, the same boot camp process, A school process, you know all these hassles to even get there in the first place had just decided I, I don't even want to start this. This is too much.
1: So the morning that it actually starts, they quit. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So
0: they they basically quit before it really even started. You know it, they had made it through all this other stuff. You know, and then they they it was just I mean it, they say the program is more mental than physical, and I, I think in those terms it truly is because they, it was just anxiety. They just had built it up in their minds into something way beyond what it actually was and had just decided I don't want to do it anymore. There's this bell that's lashed to a post on the on the grinder which is just kind of a parking lot at the compound and if you want to quit you, you go and you stand on these little duck feet and you ring the bell and you tell them who you are and that you're quitting training and, uh, and then they bring out documentation for you to sign. Yeah, so you would hear this bell ringing three times and even if you didn't quit properly, the instructors would come out and make you ring it loud and proud. And there was actually good reason behind that. They wanted you to kind of take ownership of what you're doing and and so that you could move on with your life because for some some people that I knew, I think this probably was a moment that that began sort of a downward spiral in their lives where you know, they basically gave up on something that they, they really, really did want to do, and then they kind of didn't really emotionally recover from it. And and so this was a way to kind of establish finality and sort of take ownership of what you're doing and, and, and make sure like it happened, the bell was rung, but it was kind of like an ever-present thing. I mean, they would actually take it down and strap it to the back of a pickup so that when we would do our beach runs, it would be there at the front, and you could see it in case you needed to use it. <laughs> so, you know, it was like a a psychological tool. And there was kind of like there's kind of like a crazy thing that goes on. Where in the beginning you hear it, and you kind of like there's a sadness because you probably know that person pretty well, you know. And as time goes on, a lot of guys and I was definitely guilty of this become a little twisted about it where you would start cheering because you realize at some point that you're not part of that group that's quit and with everyone that goes, you're that much closer to, to making it. And you sort of, this element of like, hey, if you don't want to be part of this brotherhood, if you don't want to do this, then get out of here sooner rather than later so we can move on. There's sort of a, an evolution of, of the psychology of the, the way you view like what's happening. I think anybody who says they don't consider quitting is a liar, and maybe there's somebody that's just so tough. For me, I would, I would definitely kind of tend to, like, think about things in terms of alternatives, And but I definitely kind of, like, thought, okay, well, what would be sort of what happens if I choose to quit? If I, if I were to ring the bell, then what would be the next thing that would happen? Well, I knew that they usually would kind of, like, have you sign the paperwork? And they would actually usually put like a 24-hour watch on you, because some guys would get suicidal. And they would usually have you call your family. They would pretty much almost make you do that, because that was just part of kind of like moving on and accepting that. And also getting back to like your 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 actual support structure. And so, you know, I, I realized that 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 I would have to call my father and, and explain to him that, you know, this thing I said I was gonna do, I wasn't gonna do it anymore. And For me, that that was a source of strength, realizing that, like, I would never do that, that 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 call was never going to be made.
1: Though he'd made it much further through the training than so many others, Ben's toughest test was still to come. That was the infamous part of training,
0: known as Hell Week. You're basically kept up for a whole week, and you just train constantly for a whole week. It actually started on Sunday night, and they called it Breakout. Around sundown, they wouldn't actually tell us. They'd put us in a room and then kind of black the room out, wouldn't let you leave except for to use the bathroom. And so you're just kind of in there sipping water, anticipating, you know, what's gonna come. And then when they actually did the breakout, there would be like instructors everywhere with, with machine guns with, with blanks. So it was a lot of noise a lot of like flashbang grenades to disorient you, a lot of smoke. They would basically just have you run around and disorient you and have you in the water one minute and doing pushups the next minute and getting sandy the next minute. So it's it's just kind of like this attempt to really like disorient you and, and exhaust you before anything even starts. Within minutes there were people quitting. You know, I remember at the time being like, I'm not even tired yet and people are quitting and then you kind of have this realization that they're not quitting because they're tired, they're quitting because they don't want to do this. There were, there were moments when even when you're doing it, you kind of are observing and realizing like, oh wow, okay, this is, I've seen the documentaries and I've read the books, but this is actually happening. Like people are just, you know, tough guys are just saying like, I'm not gonna do this. We would take our boats everywhere during Hell Week. That was kind of the the standard that was different from the other parts of training where, you know, you would use the boats for certain evolutions. In Hell Week, the boat went everywhere with you. We took it across the street to Chow. We took it everywhere we went, took it all the way down the Silver Strand, you know. So we took this thing hundreds and hundreds of miles during that week, rode it all around the island, and, you know, there were a couple dedicated times where they let us sleep for, I think, about half an hour— which was kind of bizarre because you would feel when you woke up as though you had slept for, like, days. And then you would go outside and realize, like, oh, it's still dark, you know. But you were so kind of, like, out of your own mind. When you would really start feeling it was usually anytime you would sit down. So as long as you kind of kept moving, it was sort of easy to just keep going and, and not really think about it too much. And you're just distracted by whatever's going on. And the instructor staff understood that. And so they would really mess with you psychologically during those times. So like you'd be sitting down eating dinner and they'd be walking around like, who wants to quit? Who's gonna quit? Who's gonna quit? Always planting that seed, you know. And I think the term selection is really important because it differentiates between this just being a test of what you can do And being a selection of actually, we're selecting for certain attributes that you may or may not be able to control. But we need those attributes in the community in order to do the job we're doing. Because there was always kind of this nature versus nurture, you know, argument. Like, are you born a SEAL or do you become a SEAL? Is it something that your parents taught you? You know, like, how does it happen? And I, I think, you know, events like that really proved its sort of innate, you know, and there are certain things that if you don't have them, you won't make it. But there are certain things that you have no control over. And one of them is once you're just completely exhausted and out of your mind, how will you behave? Will you will you want to continue or not? And there were people that quit, you know, during these pretty like altered states. And there were times when the instructor staff would say, hey, this is a good guy. And they would try to actually talk them into not quitting and say, hey, think about this for a minute. This is a big decision. This is going to impact not just your career, but probably the rest of your life, you know? And there were guys that stayed during that. Yeah, I mean, anytime you sat down, that was kind of like when your mind would start running wild on you. And I, I think about 48 hours in or so, you reached this sort of point of exhaustion where it wasn't just the physical exhaustion now, now it was the mental exhaustion from the sleep deprivation. And now you started to really like, kind of have this like mental struggle, and that actually, at least for me and, and others that I've talked to, have said the same. Really, only probably lasted about twenty-four hours, and then you reach this other state where they could do anything to you, and it didn't matter, because you had decided you were, you're, yeah, you were, you were, you were past the point of making decisions and you were just going to do whatever they told you. And that's when you had to be really careful because you could push a guy to the point he'd just kill himself through ex- exertion. For, for me and I think most of the guys, um, the biggest fear was that you'd get hurt because that was what you couldn't control because, you know, you've, you've done all this training and the program has already taught you that the human body can withstand far more than you thought it could. So it's kind of like the martial arts analogy of doing something 10,000 times um, in order to master it and not like some long drawn out form, like one specific movement 10,000 times. It's the same thing here where, you know, you just spend so much time doing it that then eventually that becomes the comfort that you know that without a doubt you can, you can do those things under any situation in any, any circumstances there's this big berm that the bulldozers push up in front of the, the compound of sand and they had us low crawling up and down this berm over and over but not coming over the crest and we were we knew what day it was and we knew it was getting close to when they typically would secure a class which was, means that, that was the end and at one moment we actually got to the top of the berm and we could see all the instructors and all the staff from the compound, which is a lot of people, all lined up and we realized that 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 was the moment, you know. And it was very emotional. You know, no matter how exhausted you are, if something significant happens, you are able to like tap into sort of an energy reserve and and put effort into um, sort of yeah, you recognize the significance of what's going on. I remember, like, guys were actually, you know, physically crying. I don't remember that I did, but I do remember being pretty overwhelmed emotionally and just, just realizing, like, that's pretty much it. That was sort of the moment, you know, where, where you'd realize, like, I, I will be a Navy SEAL, basically, at this at this point.
1: So that's it for this episode and for our first season, but we'll continue with Ben's story soon when we return with new episodes. Here's a quick preview.
0: I remember, yeah, graduating, and I remember having that like kind of moment where you're like, okay, this was kind of like, even though it actually really, really sucked, this was kind of the Hollywood part. Like I got to live live here in Coronado and sort of play Navy SEAL every day, but I actually wasn't one yet and I actually wasn't in that much danger of dying. Now we're gonna go, like, do this for real.
1: You can find us on Facebook at My First Day Stories. We're gonna be posting some outtakes on there as well as some other content as we work on new episodes for you. You can also find us online at kpbs.org slash myfirstday. Our email is myfirstdaystories at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I hope to get all caught up on emails now that the season's finally wrapped. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks also to everyone who shared their stories with us over the past few months. It's really been an amazing experience. My name's Andrew Bracken. My first day was produced by me. Music by Chris Curtis. Thanks also to Melissa Diaz and Andre Boriakin. Also to Malcolm and Simone. Hey, guys. Support for this program comes from the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund supporting new ideas and programs for San Diego. For KPBS, Melanie Drogseth is Programming Coordinator, Nate John is Innovation Specialist, Jill Linder is Programming Manager, and John Decker is Director of Programming. Thanks again for joining us this season. Real quick before we go, though, we wanted to let you know about another upcoming podcast from KPBS called Rad Scientist.
0: San Diego is one of the largest scientific research hubs in the country. So who are the scientists in search of discovery? Glad you asked. I'm Margo Wall, the host of Rad Scientist, a new KPBS podcast coming to you this fall.
1: KPBS On
0: Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.